0: 15 uh, starting at verse 12. Again, we turn in our uh, copies of God's word today to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12 through verse 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. For now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that He who put all things under Him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subject to Him who put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of man I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have given to us your perfect word. And dear God, we pray today that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As I noted, with the children... The real question that Paul has in mind to answer in this section is the question of truth. What does it mean that Christ is raised from the dead? Does it matter if Christ is raised from the dead? Well, Paul, in what he says here, gives an emphatic yes. It does matter whether Christ is raised from the dead. It matters whether or not the Lord Jesus not only was raised from the dead, but that the Lord Jesus was God incarnate. There are certain non-negotiables in the Christian faith. There are certain things that you must believe in order to be truly a son and daughter of the living God. And one of them is that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was fully God and fully man, died on the cross of Calvary, was laid in the grave, in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, that He was raised from the dead, that His physical body, was re-inhabited by His soul, that He came out of that ground, and that He truly, in soul and body, ascended into the heavenly places. Deny any portion of that testimony, and you are outside the Christian faith. And Paul is not one to mix words. If Jesus Christ was God, but didn't die on the cross, then we are still in our sins. And we are in need of a Redeemer. And we should be like the Jews who continue to look for Messiah. Because again, if we are dead in sin, what does that mean for us when we die ourselves? It means that we go into the ground unjustified, unsanctified, and condemned to hell. If Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, but only appeared to die on the cross, you kind of fell asleep, as it were, or went into a coma, and just kind of happened to wake up in the grave, and the angels heard His cries and rolled the stone away, then we again are still in our sins. Because as as Paul had made clear at the opening of chapter 15, the death of Christ, His physical death, the shedding of His blood, was necessary for the atonement of our transgressions. As we hear Paul say in this portion, again, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, we are reminded of this reality that everyone present here today, everyone who has ever breathed air on this earth, is dead in sin because of Adam's transgression in the garden. Now, Of course, that itself has all kinds of uh, things attached to it. For if Adam was not real... If Adam was not a historical figure, if Adam was just kind of a figment of somebody's imagination or a conveniently created myth, what does that say about Jesus Christ? It says that Jesus Christ was a liar. That Jesus Christ did not tell the truth when He was here on this earth. And if Jesus Christ is a liar, what does that say about our sin? It says we are still in our sins because Jesus Christ would then be a sinner. And would Jesus Christ in His sinful flesh be sufficient for our transgressions? Well, no. Jesus Christ had to be a perfect sacrifice for sin. Again, these things matter. These things matter centrally to our salvation. They matter centrally to who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. And they matter eternally for God's people. Again, when we again read these words in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is making clear that there is no other way. Either Jesus is who He says He is and praise the Lord God He is, or we are still in our sins and as He says there, we are most to be pitied. Our faith is futile. Again, brothers and sisters, as we read these words, of course, uh, our hearts and minds are drawn to that inescapable truth that our faith is not futile. That our hope is not in vain. That the comfort of our salvation is in the reality of our God. That He is the God who created the heavens and the earth. That He is the God who created Adam out of the dust of the earth. That He breathed life into Adam. That He is the same God who considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but came in the form of the flesh. Who was born of a virgin in the city of Bethlehem. Who was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. And this self-same Jesus Christ has made us alive in Him because of who He is. That He is the God of truth, the God who has given to us this glorious promise that we might rest and trust in this glorious giving of Himself. That we might know again once more that we stand in Him. That the knowledge that we have has been given to us by Him that we again might find that glorious peace in His reality. And that's why Paul will close this particular section by speaking in the way he does. For if these things aren't true, then what are we doing here? Why are we gathered together on a Sunday when we could be watching the Masters? When we could be out doing other things? We we could be doing any number of things at this moment. But we're here. We're here with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have forsaken the things of this world that we might rejoice with a united voice that God is God. That we are His But He has called us out of darkness and has given us the light of His gospel truth. And this is what Paul is is driving home to the Corinthians, especially as he closes there, verse 34, again, awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now, why is it that Paul says that? Why why does he speak this to their shame? Well, if you're speaking to someone's shame, that means they have something that they have wrong with them. And what do you think is the shame? What is wrong in Corinth? Again, the reason why Paul is speaking these words is because they have allowed false teachers into their midst. Again, they have kind of broken down the wall of the vision, as it were, and have allowed anybody who feels like it to come into their house and to say whatever it is they would like to say. there, There is no guard up when it comes to the preaching of God. They've allowed Judaizers in, as we've heard earlier, as you hear earlier on in the First in 1 Corinthians. They've allowed unchecked sexual morality to be all throughout uh, their congregation. Uh, they have allowed drunkenness in the Lord's Supper. Uh, they have allowed any number of sins to be in the midst of their number. But there's only one where Paul will speak in the way he does here. That's because of how central this is to everything that Paul has been engaged in. It's one thing to challenge someone on sexual sin. It's another thing to challenge them on the third commandment. Again, we think about the two tables of the law that we have, and we are reminded of the summary that Jesus gives. Remember how Jesus there will lay out the two tables. And who is primarily the relationship with in the first table of the law? It's with the Lord God. Again, what is the purpose of not having any other gods before me? It's so that God is not only the only, uh, but that He is central to who you are. That you're not sharing His glory with other gods. Why are we not to make graven images of the Lord our God? Because God cannot be pictured in the creation of human hands. Because by definition, any creation that we make is a false creation. Because first of all, of course, God the Father and God the Spirit are not corporal beings. So we can't make an image of God the Father or God the the Holy Spirit. And likewise, we do not know what Jesus looks like. And so we have been told not to make images of Him. For that same reason. Likewise, when we come to that third commandment, again, we, we, we have kind of a tendency over the generations to reduce that commandment to, again, like I said with the children, not saying bad words. But really, what is that commandment about? It's about faithfully presenting God as He is. It's about faithfully representing God as He has told us in His Word. So when we change the Word of God, what commandment are we breaking? We're breaking that third commandment because we're using the name of God in vain. Again, what does that word vain mean? Again, it doesn't mean kind of vanity in the way that we use it, but it means in a futile way. Again, when we, we think about what Paul's doing here again in laying this out that if we testify of a God who doesn't exist, uh, then we are worshiping in futility. We're worshiping in vain, because there's no benefit to any of this. Now, it may make us feel better, it may kind of give us a kick, it might, you know, bring us up a couple notches. But what's the reality of that kind of temporal lift? It goes away, right? It's a temporary thing. But what is it about the Christian faith that Paul is laying out here? The reality is that because these things are true, because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, because our sins have been paid for by the shedding of the blood of the Lamb, we can rejoice constantly. We can come into the house of worship on the Lord's Day morning as a foretaste of what awaits us in the heavenly places. You think about what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 4 about this. Again, why is it that the first day of the week is set aside for the Christian Sabbath? It's because of this truth. It's because we have been given the fullness of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And that as those who know this to be the fact, we have put aside the things of this world. Because what are we going to do in heaven? As I said, we are going to spend our time in heaven rejoicing and worshiping the Lord because of what He has done for us. And that's why we have been created to begin with. We have been created by the Lord our God to rejoice in Him, to glorify Him, to bring praise unto Him. That is our identity. That's who we are as human beings. And that's why Paul will turn there to the negative at the end again by saying, if in the manner of men I have fought with the beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Again, why is it that we go through these things? Why do we live lives in accordance with the Word of God? It's not for societal benefit. Again, when we think about our obedience to the law of God, what does that gain us in the world? Well, what do we see fairly regularly nowadays when it comes to those who are faithful to the commandments of God? And how does the world treat them? You know, there was uh, you know, very recently a somewhat famous in his world uh, you know, New Zealand rugby player who was kicked off the New Zealand rugby team because of his belief in the uh, seventh commandment. Because he refused to bow the knee to homosexuality. And he has lost this place on the rugby team. He, he is being chased out of polite society. He is being mocked in the national news. And there are you know, attacks on his own physical house. All because he holds to a position that is consistent with the Holy Scriptures. Again, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, what's the purpose of that? And we think in our own nation, likewise, when especially as the kind of cultural Christianity that so many of us grew up with is quickly being washed away, and we're being uh, exposed, as it were, to what Europe and other parts of the world have gone through for decades, what is it about our lives that is becoming a, a greater and greater reality? Again, if we are willing to stand... You know, On the basis of the Christian faith, how is the world treating us? Well, it's treating us likewise. But again, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, why do we go through these things? Again, not all of us will be like the Apostle Paul, who will have to fight beasts in Ephesus to show that our faith is genuine. Again, not all of us will have to stand in the face of ISIS and be beheaded for our faith in Jesus Christ. But the reality is that we will face these same things. And it matters whether or not we truly believe these things happen. Because again, it's worth it, is it not? It's worth it to face the the, the revulsions of the world around us. Because we know something that they don't. And that's, again, what Paul goes at the end of this. Again, awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And think back to what Jesus said on the cross. And they know not what they do. And why is it that they know not what they do? Because they deny the Lord of glory. They deny God His place among the heavens. And so they act consistent with their unbelief. And so they do, as this proverbial saying says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Because again, if all we have is this life, we'd better get our excitements, our joys, as, as much as we can. But think about again what God has called us to do as believers in Jesus Christ. Again, where is the true joy that we are to find in this life? The true joy that we find in this life comes from obedience to the law of God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we understand that the wisdom of God is greater than the wisdom of man. In uh, in Sabbath school this morning, we looked at Haggai uh, chapter 1, and one of the illustrations that Haggai uses through the wisdom of God is uh, something that we are familiar with. You know we all know people who have you know a hole in their pocket when it comes to money. You know as soon as it comes in, it goes right out, and those people are are constantly working constantly trying to gain more money so that they can pay off creditors so that they can use it for all the kinds of things. and so they you know are just constantly in this movement. and what do we see is the fruit of those kinds of lives. Well, not only do we see that anxiety continuing to weld up. But what are they left with uh, in their lives? They leave a wake of destruction around them as they continue to seek after this idol. Of course, that's the nature of all unbelief when it comes to idolatry. Again, idolatry at its center is seeking after the things of this world rather than things of God. In understanding that all of these things that we see are passing away. That the joys found in the pleasures of the flesh are but for a fleeting moment. Paul here is he writes to the Corinthians, again, is, is driving this home. Again, in the way that he describes the Lord our God. But each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits after those who are Christ at His coming. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for He has put all things under His feet. Paul there, quoting from Psalm 8, in that wonderful psalm which testifies to the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man, contains in it that that beautiful phrase, that the babes do what? That the babes will promote and profess the glory of God. When we think about that, of course, we're drawn to what Jesus says about the nature of our faith. How are we to receive the kingdom of God? We're to receive the kingdom of God as little children. And what is it about that illustration that Jesus is conveying? It's that reminder that we are fully reliant upon Jesus Christ. That we are reliant upon Jesus for every part of our being. That there is no portion of our lives that is outside the kingship of Jesus Christ. Again, that's where the rebellion of our hearts most most directly gets us in trouble. Because again, we try to compartmentalize Jesus. You know, Jesus is for my Sunday, and I'm for Monday through Saturday. You know, Jesus is for uh, the times of trial in my life, and when things are going well, I don't really need Jesus. But what we see here is what Paul is declaring to the Corinthian church, is you can't do that. You either believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and He is King of your life, or He's not king of your life. Again, just as that old saying goes, you can't be a little bit pregnant. You either are or you aren't. You can't just be kind of a Christian. You just can't be a part-time believer. And Paul here is driving this point home to the Corinthian church, and he's driving this point home to us because each and every one of us struggle with this particular reality. And we're fine when it comes to kind of the bigger sins. You know, we kind of have a tendency to pat ourselves on the back and say, well, I haven't murdered anybody this week. I must be a good person. Right? I, I haven't committed adultery this week. I should be praised. And we, we do that, especially with the second table of the law. You know, we, we read those, the, those commandments and we say, well, I haven't coveted and I haven't uh, you know, disobeyed my parents, I haven't done these things. But when it comes to the first table, we kind of you know, either ignore them or kind of put them in kind of a spiritual place where they have no real application on our lives. But again, think about what Paul is saying here about who our God is and what He has called us to do through His Son. And He has called us to live lives of full obedience to His Word. And if we don't start with the first commandment, what's the likelihood that we're going to keep any of the others? Because that's where everything begins and ends. Either God is our God, or He's not. Either God is the God who raised His Son from the dead, God is the God who has raised us from our spiritual death, or He's not. Again, this, the, the truth of the Scriptures, again, is central to who we are. And where it is, we find our hope and our comfort from day to day. And so, brothers and sisters, as we, again, leave this place today, again, let us hear what the Apostle Paul has for us this morning. Again, this call to rest. Again, that resting is not a temporary thing, that's a permanent thing. And we think about how Jesus is described earlier on in 1 Corinthians. He's described as the the chief cornerstone. And what is the chief cornerstone there for? And if you get the cornerstone wrong, what happens to the rest of the building? The rest of the building is unusable. It's either going to be pointing in the wrong direction or it's going to have a foundation that leads to it to collapse under its own weight. Again, we are given the promise uh, both here in 1 Corinthians 15 and throughout the Scriptures that this God who has sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for our sins is the power of our faith. He's the foundation of who we are as Christians. Again, He must be the foundation and He must be the whole building itself. Because again, God, in the sending of His Son, doesn't just kind of make us okay. He doesn't just kind of bring us out of death unto life, and then just kind of kick us out of the nest, and say, good luck in your life. That's not how our God works. Right? What do we hear Paul say here? Again, each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at His coming. Again, we are owned by Jesus. We belong body and soul to Him. And there is no portion of our physical or our spiritual body that is not under His Lordship. And praise God for that. Again, this is the call of the believer as we close this morning. Again, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. In this walk is is one that we must face every morning as we awake uh, out of our slumbers. That each day we will have this fight within us between the old man and the new man. And as this fight is ongoing, what is the only solution, the only victory? It's in that resting in Jesus Christ. It's in that putting everything into His hands. And when we say those words, again, do not be anxious for anything, again, it's not just when it comes to the big decisions of life. It's with every step that we take. It's with every move that we make. Again, it's with everything that is within us. Again, that full resting in Christ is the victory that we see here in 1 Corinthians 15. So brothers and sisters, let us again heed the words of of our Lord and let us remember uh, that our identity is in Christ, that God is the foundation of our lives, and that we are to live in the newness of this life, that we are to awake to righteousness and have the knowledge uh, that God is our God and that we are His people. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, You are the God over all things, and You are the God who has sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Amen.